This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. This is Episode 8 of the Recorded Future podcast. In the world of cybersecurity, threat intelligence is a relatively new tool, new enough that many organizations still grapple with how best to integrate it into their defensive strategies. But beyond the corporate world, the military has given threat intelligence a vital role for millennia. So it makes sense to ask, what lessons can businesses take from military tradecraft and organizing principles that have been tried and tested? Our guest today is Alexi Philipson, a former U.S. Naval officer and now a customer success consultant at Recorded Future. Alexi served in counterterrorism analytical roles, and his postings included the aircraft carrier USS Dwight D. Eisenhower and U.S. Naval Forces Central Command. Stay with us. What I first noticed when I joined the private sector, I, I noticed that there was quite an emphasis, surprisingly so, on threat intelligence. Yet the way it was implemented was often as, as an afterthought, whereas coming from a, a military background and, 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 or an intelligence community background in the U.S., intelligence is very much at the forefront. Um, and if you look at the, just the structure over the past 100 years of every military unit, for example, the, the number two person is the intelligence officer and the intelligence personnel. And, and there's actually this, this old Napoleonic structure that's been carried over through the Civil War and the, the World Wars and now 21st century. And that is the, the idea that, you know, uh, the, the first uh, sort of division of labor is the, the admin functionality. The, the second is intelligence. And the third is operations with logistics and now IT and planning following. What struck me was that it, how it's, it's almost backwards um, threat intelligence is is, a, is so new to the private sector that it's I, I very much feel like it's it's a bolt on or or simply an add on to many organizations' day to day activities. And why do you think that is? Why why is it taken so long for the private sector to take notice of threat intelligence? It's new, and it's very much the antithesis of what you would want in in a business unit, which is I put money in and I have. I have, it's very difficult for me to tease out where the value is. I think, I, I think that's one problem, is, is just defining it and, and defining, defining success. The second is intelligence is, uh, you know, amongst intelligence professionals, it's considered an art form. And I think the reason why is knowing when to stop is equally in, important as gaining insights it moves from a, a and it, why it's an art or maybe perhaps, you know, comparing science and engineering. It's, it's really applying your knowledge of, of a threat and of a problem in, in a way that delivers results. And that's something that consumes uh, in the military and in the, in the larger intelligence community that consumes day-to-day operations is achieving that. So is it, is it a matter of having the resources to, to take something like this on? Absolutely. Resources is a must. And not all organizations, especially your smaller organizations, are going to be able to implement an intelligence program the way a, a Fortune 100 financial institutions or, or 
other sectors, like automotive and, and some of these larger software companies obviously have far more resources to bring to bear. But even amongst some of these larger organizations with a lot of money, a lot of time, great people, the process, the way they've implemented threat intelligence does not sort of reflect uh, an urgency and an importance the way it does in, in the government and especially in the military units. I, I feel like some of the lessons learned in the military have been learned over such a long period of time. Uh, they've forgotten why they do it and why it's so important. And it's just common knowledge, common sense that everyone has their own uh, organic sort of intelligence personnel to help them out. That is, to me, one of the most stark contrasting points between the public and private sector. I, I served on an aircraft carrier, and I think that is the perfect example to show the difference. On an aircraft carrier is actually an amalgam of several different organizations. Uh, you have the ship itself. You have the admiral and his or her staff. Uh, there are aircraft. Those belong to a completely separate organization, all reporting to the, uh, the admiral. Every single individual unit has their own intelligence personnel. They work together. They collaborate. You may have 10, 12 squadrons of aircraft of different types, different functions. They don't trust each other to all share intelligence resources. They have their own person creating intelligence so that the decision maker can make an informed decision. And that's something you, I, I rarely see in the private sector, where there's this one intel organization and they serve everyone's needs, whether that be day-to-day -day or uh, a quarterly review. And so that's something that I would feel is one of the major sort of differences. So help me understand that from a leadership point of view, again, using your, your analogy uh, with an aircraft carrier, does that, does that mean that that admiral on board gets uh, a bunch of different opinions, a bunch of different views on the spectrum of threats that might require his or her attention? Absolutely. And, and much like a, an aircraft carrier, a, a business has different business verticals and an admiral has different threats. Uh, there are air battles, there are surface battles, and there are subsurface battles. Um, and in more and more, electronic warfare and, and cybersecurity are becoming uh, sort of a, another dimension. And depending on where that ship and its assets are on a given day, a submarine might be a bigger threat than an enemy aircraft or vice versa. Each of the organic intelligence units are feeding information and decisions up to essentially provide uh, what is called decision superiority. And that's just a fancy word for, for given the, the, the context of what's happening for a given day, that admiral is going to need to make a decision. And he or she is able to choose what intelligence to focus on and refocus his or her organic assets, you know, send a helicopter or a plane to go get more intelligence and bring it back to the ship um, or task and ask somebody in the in sort of the national intelligence construct to say, you know what, I really need this, and have folks on the ship get that on his or her behalf. And and so, what are some of the lessons that transfer from from your experience in the military? What kinds of lessons can be transferred to the private sector in terms of uh, dialing in the amount of threat intelligence? It's a great question. I think the, the foremost is forcing leaders to come up with clear business objectives to drive day-to-day -day activity, to drive procurement, budgets, 
but also drive the information security program so that it's not sort of a, a separate add-on component to an organization and to ensure that business units understand the importance of, of this security and, and start demanding their own threat intelligence, demanding their own sort of organic assets, if you will, because only then can someone say, look, you know, our, our business vertical or our, our vertical within our organization is bringing in this much revenue, but our attack surface is extraordinary. You know, if we are critically damaged or, or our data is, is breached, you know, this it'll have this kind of effect on the company. And I think once leaders establish that kind of threat intelligence culture and the, the business vertical start adopting that, you'll see a more organic, uh, more natural ebb and flow of information and resources uh, that reflect the priority of a company for a given year. So I think that's that's one lesson, um, which is essentially spreading threat intelligence throughout an organization. And uh, as a sort of corollary to that, the idea of who is participating in threat intelligence. Should a, a plane take off from an aircraft carrier and fly 500 miles away and see a threat, when they come back uh, or even while they're in the air, they're going to report that. That's intelligence. And I think there's this notion that threat intelligence is only you know, there's one team doing that. There's one team collecting the information. There's one team disseminating that information. And I think that needs to change in the, in the culture of, of many information security programs. Everyone's involved in threat intelligence. It's everyone's job. Uh, second, I think it's important for organizations to understand the difference between the tactical and operational and strategic intelligence. And this is where I see some threat intel teams get hammered with not only collecting data day to day, to help articulate for some future quarterly report what the threat atmosphere looks like for a given company. But they're also tasked with defending the company day to day. And I feel like that is a big mistake. From the point of view of the boardroom, you know, convincing the board of directors that this is a worthwhile investment, that you know, not only are we going to uh, sort of you know, bolt on threat intelligence as an add-on, but we need to have it throughout the organization. And in fact, we, just don't, we, we don't need just one source of threat intelligence for the whole company. We need specific customized sources of threat intelligence for the different divisions of the company. What's the uh, value proposition that you make to your board? That's a great point. It, it is difficult to, to measure this value. From a government perspective, they're able to, to spend this money at all levels and throughout the organization, and the, and the taxpayer just foots the bill. The boardroom is going to be less likely to, to foot that bill. And, and this is where you go back to culture. That CIO or C, CISO has to work very closely with each of the other business units in a unique way to come up with a framework to, to measure that. And there are some thought leaders on this topic out there on how to quantify risk, because that's what it boils down to. Because it, and this is really a conversation about risk. Resources need to be set aside and sort of evaluating, okay, well, what, is, what is it that our company does? What is critical to our future? And then how do we manage risk associated with that? And I think that, you know, basically bringing in the sort of actuary function and bringing that into the fold as, as part of the roles and responsibilities of a CIO and of the whole C-suite in general, that, that needs to happen. It is happening. I, I do see people talking about it. But when I sort of parachuted in from the military and into the private sector, that was 
one of the things I did not see enough of, of that conversation. And one of the, the hardest things about intelligence is it's not a cut and dry function. And if you're never exploring, you will consistently fail. You will consistently hit a diminishing returns. And I think that's something that's often misunderstood about threat intelligence. If your team is only fighting fires and only building sort of what we used to call feed the beast slide decks and reports, and they're not threat hunting or trying to push that envelope, the return on your investment will be significantly less. Um, because ultimately, threat intelligence is a function that replaces complete knowledge. If we were able to gain insight into everything, we wouldn't need intelligence. Intelligence is ultimately the art of, of taking a few data points and trying to derive the reality from incomplete information. And that's where the art comes from. And so the, the, the notion of time and the notion of, of planned and unplanned analysis and, and how important that is, I feel that is, is important um, when, when considering how, how to implement an information security program and then more importantly, how to consume and, and generate threat intelligence. I think sometimes, particularly in technical fields, you know, and with threat intelligence, we, we talk so much about the transition from information into intelligence. And I think particularly in technical fields, people tend to uh, overlook or discount the importance of creativity. Technical people sometimes even will say, oh, I'm not a creative person. I'm, I'm, a, tech, I'm a techie. Um, but I think you can't underestimate. You, you, it's really important to value the creativity of the people who are making sense of these things. Absolutely. That's, that's a great point. It goes back to the notion of what threat intelligence is, which is doing something totally irrational, which is take only a few data points and try to extract something more and tease more out of that. And you, you can't do that if you're not creative. Our thanks to Alexi Philipson for joining us. Remember, you can also find more intelligence analysis at recordedfuture.com slash blog. We've got a save-the-date notice for you. Our Fun 2017 is October 4th and 5th in Washington, D.C. at the Museum. That's the Recorded Future Users Network Conference. We'll have more info as we get closer to the event, but for now, hold October 4th and 5th on your calendar. You're not going to want to miss it. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.